Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Praise God. Well, I want to introduce our very special guest to come uh, and to minister to us. Billy's a very unusual man because he is a prophet in every, uh, in every way that you can um, describe that. Some people are, are prophets because the Holy Spirit just gives them great insight into people's lives and to minister to them. And we love those kind of prophets and we'll see a bit of that happening this morning. But there's another kind of prophet a kind of a Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah kind of prophet where a prophet is raised up to speak to nations and to kings and to, and to confront uh, un, unrighteousness. That's another kind of prophet, isn't it? And uh, Brother Bill does exactly that too. So, uh, he is working tirelessly, particularly throughout the United States, to bring the Bible back into schools and to bring prayer also. We were hearing about um, last night as well. And uh, so he has influence in all manner of circles that we, the rest of us, we just watch on Sky News. But uh, he is a prophet in every, in, in every way that you can um, describe that. So we are, we are honored to have you with us. We love you, but we feel humbled that you are even here with us today. And uh, so I want you to stand and put your hands together. Why don't you welcome the man of God as he comes to share with us. Come on. Good to see you. God bless you. Hallelujah. And this is my lovely wife, Haley. I think most of you remember her. And we are just excited to be with you and humbled to be with you. And uh, praise God, God is on the throne today. Amen. Lord, we are so blessed to be in your presence and to be in your house. And God, we just pray that you will move in a mighty way. God, that you will just stir our hearts, Lord God, that you will draw us closer to you, that you will just sweep across us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord God, hide your servant behind the cross that all might see Jesus and Jesus alone. And Lord, we just pray this with one goal in mind, that the name of Jesus might be uplifted above every other name, And it's in that name we pray, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we are so thankful for your prayers, and uh, we sense your prayers all the time. And uh, we, my wife and I, um, sometimes people, they, they ask me, what is the Bible character that you can most relate to? And the Apostle Paul is up there because the Apostle Paul had a, had a very dramatic salvation experience and, and so did I. So he'd probably be number two. But I think the uh, one that the Bible character that we can relate to the most is Balaam's donkey. And uh, that uh, save for the grace of God, we have nothing to say, nothing to do, but God will use anyone. Amen. Uh, we really pray very, very seriously over every church that we speak at. We have discovered that, sure, of course, there there's similarities between churches, but uh, churches go through seasons. Uh, God's work in uh, according to his timeline in each church is a little bit different. So with that in mind, that much prayer has gone into that, Lord, bless. You're already blessed. Word to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm always amazed how the Lord puts together services. Our uh, dear brother Lee uh, shared just a, 
about 15 or 20 minutes ago the, about uh, Jeremiah and, uh, and others, how they tend to give excuses as to why God could not use them. And, of course, Jeremiah's excuse was that um, he was too young. Uh, Abraham's excuse is he was too old. By the way, I've discovered it must be that the uh, ideal age to be used of God is uh, 44 going on 45. Because everyone below that age says they're too young, and everyone above that age says they're too old. Okay, so it must be just about 44, 45. That's the ideal age to be used of God. I'm being facetious, of course. So don't worry if you're below or above that. But all of us today, we have dreams. And I think it was really beautiful how Lee shared about it because uh, it relates very much to today's passage. And it's so wonderful to know that this is not uh, Pastor Peter's service. It is not my service. It is not Lee's service. It is not our worship team's service. It's God's service. He put this together. And all of us, we have dreams. And many of those dreams are from God. And I really believe that God's purpose bringing us here today is to tell you that God intends to fulfill your dreams. If they be from God, God intends to fulfill your dreams. And with that in mind, let's turn together to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, and our text is going to be out of Genesis chapter 37 in its entirety. Genesis chapter 37 in its entirety. And that is fulfilling God's dreams. Fulfilling God's dreams. We're going to begin reading in chapter 37 and verse 1. And this is the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 1, and it reads this way. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him in the wilderness, around in the fields, and asked, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. 
But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to escape, uh, tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. Now, we're going to discuss certain principles regarding dreams. Because all of us, we have this in common. We have certain dreams. And it's so important, first of all, that we discern whether a dream is from God. So we're going to deal with several points. And the first point is this. The first point is when God gives us the dream. Now, when I speak of a dream, I'm not uh, referring to something that we necessarily receive when we're asleep. Most of the time, the dreams that we have from God are something that we receive when we're wide awake. It might be as we open up the Word of God and a passage just comes to life for us and we suddenly realize this passage is different, this verse is different, this is God saying, hey, this is for you, you stand on this. And most of us have had that experience, or maybe it's in our prayer closet that we sense God speaking to us about the future. Or it might even be through another individual that God confirms something through another individual that is already going on in our hearts. I mean, there, there are a variety of ways that God speaks forth dreams. But dreams from God and dreams that we receive when uh, we're asleep, they, they do have in some, in some ways some similarities, and that sometimes uh, if they be good dreams... Uh, if dreams from God be good dreams, they, they can put a bounce in our step. We, we get excited. A lot of times when we get a dream, whether, again, it be as we read the Word of God or whether we pray or whatever, we think, wow, this is it, and there's a bounce to our step, and we kind of have the attitude, aha, I know how God is going to do it now. We get all excited, and it's kind of zippity-doo-da, zippity-yay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. And that's the attitude that we have. And we think, aha, I've got it. Now I know how God is going to get me from point A to point B. It's all laid out now. I understand it. And it almost never works out that way, does it? <laughs> it becomes much more challenging and much more difficult than we ever could have imagined. But there is that initial excitement. But that being the case, it is so important to discern, is our dream really from God? Because there are a lot of people walking around that have dreams, but... They're not, they're not from the, the hand of God, and they're not from his mind. And we have to discern whether a dream is from God. Much like when we sleep at night, I just mentioned that there's some similarities, in a sense, between the dreams that we receive from God and those that we receive when we're asleep. And God can speak to us while we're asleep. I mean, Scripture is clear about that as well. But uh, you can get dreams at night for a number of different reasons. You can get dreams at night because there's something on our minds. They say many times the last thing on our mind before we go to sleep, many times that is what we dream about. In fact, that's why uh, one of the things Haley and I do just before we go to bed, we pray together so that our minds will be on the Lord. And one of our prayers many times is, Lord, give us dreams about you. I know as an individual, in addition to praying with my wife, many times that is my last prayer, Lord, Give me dreams about Jesus. And many times uh, I will dream about certain verses. I even get some of my sermons in my dreams. 
Now you may say, well, that explains some of his sermons, okay. But it's true. Many times I, I get the beginnings of a sermon while, while I'm asleep. They say even in terms of watching children watching horror films on, on television, which may not be a good idea anyway, okay, but uh, they are much more likely to have nightmares about those horror films if they watch them just before they go to sleep as opposed to watching them at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So many times, what is the primary thought on our mind when we go to sleep? That is what we dream about. Sometimes we dream because we're worried about something, okay? And we might dream about that particular worry. Sometimes God speaks to us in dreams during our sleep. Sometimes the enemy gets us upset at night during our sleep. You ever have a time where you wake up in the morning, you're immediately in a bad mood, and you're, you're aware that, wow, I just had a terrible dream, and it kind of puts you in a bad mood for that day. You don't even know why. You're in a good mood you know, when you went to sleep, and now because of a dream, you're, you're not in a very good mood. Satan sometimes speaks into dreams. Uh, sometimes uh, you can have dreams because uh, you ate too much at uh, Lucky Star. Now, it's going to be good dreams when you folks gather together. I just, you know, I uh, want, want to make that plain. But, you know, sometimes uh, maybe we had a little bit too much and we, we dream because of that. And it's so important, though, when in the midst of receiving dreams from God, that, again, we normally receive when we're awake, it's so important that we discern whether that dream is really from God. And, of course, again, when I speak to the dreams that we receive when we're awake, I'm referring to more of a sense of direction vision and purpose to our lives. That's what I'm talking about. When God speaks to us why we're here, what our function is, what our gifts are, and so forth, why has he placed us here? So important to discern whether those dreams are from God. And the first question we need to ask in order to discern that is, are the dreams in line with the word of God? That's the key question to ask first and foremost, because I don't care how multicolored the dreams were, how vivid they were, if they're not consistent with the word of God, God is not going to contradict himself. They are not from God. God does not contradict himself. We need to realize that. First place we need to go is, okay, does this line up with the word of God? And if it does, then praise God, that's a first indication that maybe, just maybe, that dream is from God. Second thing we need to do is we need to pray about it and ask God to give us a, a peace and confirmation in our own hearts that that is from God. We also need to look for confirmation from other people. And thank the Lord, I mean, you have a very willing servants here. Pastor Peter, I'm sure, uh, would be the very first to come forward and say, hey, if you want to uh, come to me and ask, uh, I believe God is leading me in this direction. Uh, do, you, you know, do you bear witness in your heart? Uh, you have a wonderful couple here that would be the first to say, come to us. And, you know, we'll pray with you. And uh, many times, I mean, almost always, if indeed the vision is from God, meaning that sense of purpose, that sense of direction is from God, people who are our spiritual leaders will bear witness to that. You see that in the Word of God. That's why you had the laying on of hands. It was basically saying, we believe this is of God. We believe this person is to be sent out by the Lord in one capacity or another. And we need to look to that as a, as a confirmation. And then God may use circumstances sometimes to uh, confirm things. Because let's face it, we're all a little thick-headed. You know, sometimes we need to know that we know that we know that we know. 
You know, I shared uh, before that Jeremiah's excuse was that uh, he was too young. Abraham's excuse is that he was too old. Um, Moses' excuse was that he couldn't talk well enough. And I love Gideon's excuse. Uh, he basically said, I'm too small. Because he, he said that he was from, uh, he was the smallest person in the smallest clan, in the smallest family, in the smallest tribe in Israel. That is small. Okay. And he needed, you know, he laid out that fleece, basically saying, God, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're sure that you have called me to do this? Okay. And sometimes we might look at that passage and say, why, why, Lord, did you just choose someone else? I mean, this is asking for too many confirmations. But God knows sometimes that we need these confirmations. And the beauty of it all is if the call is very important to him, and almost always it is, a lot of times he will give us the confirmations that we need. I mean, that's the wonderful thing. It's so important to realize, as important as it is for us to be in the will of God, as much as you and I want to be in the will of God, it's even more important to God. And that's one of the reasons why he will tend to make his ways obvious. I know when I was looking for a wife, when uh, the Lord quickened to me, mating season is upon you, okay? I said... Um, Yes, amen, woo! And it's been many years, and I still say, woo! I mean, we're still on our honeymoon, hallelujah. What a wonderful wife. And uh, we've been married about 10,000 days. You know, we're still counting the days. That's when you know you are in love, okay? And um, so, uh, in any case... Uh, when I was, um, when I knew that it was God's will, God's timing, that soon I was to, to be married, I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, I've been in a lot of pastors' homes. I, I have seen that who you marry can either make a ministry or destroy a ministry. And I, as a minister, I couldn't just be concerned about my potential wife. I just couldn't just only be concerned about me. We're talking about the gospel here, the effectiveness of the gospel and whether people are going to get saved or not. And I said, Lord, you really need, forgive me, Lord, but you really need to make it clear. It really needs to be your choice. And wow, did he ever make it clear? I'm not going to go into the details, but it's quite an amazing work of God, how he made it clear to each one of us. And the beauty of it all, we need to realize how willing God is to do that when it comes to being in his will. Amen? Amen. It's also important, once we've discovered whether a dream is from God, to understand and appreciate God's timing. Because a lot of times when things don't work out the way that we desire and the timing that we'd like, God's not really saying no. He's just saying not yet. And we need to realize the difference and not get discouraged when the answer is not yet. Because a lot of times the answer is worth waiting for. I was 29 before I married Haley, okay? And, you know, I didn't, uh, I was never the type of guy that the ladies were all over me kind of a thing. I, I never had like a, a bunch of girlfriends. But uh, when I did develop a relationship with a female, they tend to like me a lot. And so uh, there, were about a, there were about four or five opportunities that I had to get married before I met Haley, about four or five ladies, you know, basically said, let's get married, okay? I am so glad the Lord waited. I am so glad now. A at times, it was difficult. There was one time where uh, this, this lady really wanted to get married, and she was a very, very nice lady, but I had a sense she wasn't the one, and it was tough. 
It was, oh, Lord, can't she be the one? Life would be so much easier. And uh, I knew she wasn't because, again, I knew, uh, you know, I was in ministry and so forth. And the, when you uh, marry someone, you need to realize you're not only marrying a person, you're marrying a family. And they're marrying into the ministry. And you have to ask these questions. Are they going to be a good parent? You know, so on and so forth. And I realized the answer was no. And it was tough. But I am so glad. So the wait was worth it. And timing is so important. I I recall there was a fellow who God spoke to him. God gave him a a dream, if you will. Again, not, you know, at night. But a, a sense as he read the word of God that he was to go into radio ministry. He was a minister of the gospel. And the Lord quickened to him that he was to go into radio ministry. So what he did is he immediately started up a program. And it was a total flop. I mean, flop with a capital F. It was, it really flopped. And he couldn't understand it. He thought, well, I thought for sure, Lord, you were leading me into radio ministry, total flop. Well, 30 years later, and that's a long time, humanly speaking, 30 years later, he was approached by a Christian broadcasting company that said, oh, we just had someone uh, cancel their contract, and they've told us that um, they don't even want their money back, uh, that they, they will pay for whoever p- replaces them for the next six months, Monday to Friday for half an hour, and then also a shorter Saturday program. And so you're, if you want it, and I think that he had to pay a little. I think he had to pay for the Saturday program. But Monday to Friday was paid for. Would you like this program for the next six months? almost for free and of course you know he jumped at the opportunity well don't you know that six months that he had that radio program almost for free was just enough to provide for him the foundation of popularity so that after that the radio program uh, continued it was extremely popular and then he looked back and he realized okay Lord you were speaking to me not about that moment you were speaking to me about 30 years in the future And we see that a lot of times in Scripture. I mean, let's face it, a lot of times God would give a prophecy, and it's only the human tendency. People thought, oh, it must mean now or soon. And it wasn't that soon, but it was very accurate for later on. And so in determining God's will for our lives, we need to be very sensitive to the fact that sometimes God, he's not saying no, he's just saying not yet. Now, you might ask, well, then why did God tell me so many years in advance in the first place? Well, it's so that we can prepare. It's so that we can prepare. And the thing is, in the Christian life, we need to be just as excited about the preparation as about the end point. You know, a lot of times we have the attitude, oh, I'll be excited when I get there, when I get to the destination. But wow, the Christian life can be awfully dreary if that's our attitude. I mean, for example, well, I'll be happy when I get to heaven. Boy, you're going to miss out on a lot of fun. I mean, eternal life, the abundant life, it's, it's here today. Okay, and we may not experience the totality of it until we get to heaven, that's for sure. But, hey, let's have a good time today and enjoy the, the road uh, on our way to heaven. And the same thing in terms of God's will for our lives. It is not simply God's will for us to enjoy the destination. He wants us to enjoy the journey. Amen? Amen. Second principle that we want to talk about is that Satan will try to destroy the dream. Joseph received this wonderful dream, and boy, was he ever attacked. Now, obviously, uh, the life of Joseph uh, involves many chapters, and we're not going to read all the chapters today. We just read the, the beginning, but most of us know 
what Joseph went through. Here we see clearly that his own brothers were jealous of him and uh, wanted to kill him, and only Reuben intervening prevented that. And then if we were to read on, he was sold into slavery, and um, he ended up in Potiphar's home, received a, a great deal of favor in Potiphar's home. Potiphar gave him a lot of responsibility. Potiphar was a powerful man, but uh, Potiphar's wife developed a thing. We want to keep this, you know, G-rated, this particular message, you know, rated for the general audience. And uh, so we'll just say that Potiphar's wife developed a thing for uh, Joseph and uh, made advances towards him. And the scripture says day after day, it wasn't just a one-time event, day after day she came after him. And every time Joseph stood his ground and said, no. And just it seemed like he went through so. And then, of course, uh, when he refused her, she blamed him for making the advances. He ends up in prison. I mean, he went through so much. And we need to realize that when God gives us a dream, Satan knows it, and he will attack. And sometimes we need to realize, in a sense, that's a compliment, because Satan is threatened by what God is doing in our lives. And notice who... Uh, whom, whom, whom the people were that, um, that, that Satan would use, he used, in Joseph's case, his own family members. And we need to realize Jesus even tells us in Matthew and in other places that even members of our family will turn against us. And so if we're having troubles with members of our family because of the gospel, we should not be surprised. Joseph went through that, and so many others went through that, his own family members against him. And then there was the temptation to sin with Potiphar's wife. And think of this. Thank God Joseph resisted day after day after day. Because again, the scripture tells us that Potiphar's wife came after him day after day. And we need to realize this regarding sin. It's not enough to take a stand once against sin. We have to do it day after day after day after day. And thank the Lord that our greatest example of all, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan came after him day after day after day, and he didn't even give in once. And so we have a perfect sacrifice. You know, we need to realize if Jesus had just given in once, we wouldn't have a perfect sacrifice. But because he is perfect and did not give in once, thank the Lord, we have a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And Joseph, in many ways, was a type of Christ in the sense that obviously he was a human being, so, you know, he made mistakes. I mean, for example, you could, have, you, you could make a very good argument that, you know, maybe he should have kept a little bit more quiet about his dream, okay? That probably would have been a wise thing to do. He, he kind of made a mistake there, okay? So he was a human being. But in terms of Potiphar's wife, he took his stand day after day, and he might have rationalized and said, ah, you know, maybe, maybe I'll you know, just give her enough to satisfy her, so maybe I'll get her off my back. Maybe I'll just give her a little peck on the cheek. But you know what? That starts, okay? And so he didn't even give in once. And you know, that's important because Joseph, he didn't give in because he knew that God had given him something eternal. God had given him a promise that was eternal, and he was not going to give in to some fleeting pleasure and sacrifice that which was eternal. And that's what's important for us to realize. And remember what I'm about to say here. This is very important. We must never sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. I'm going to repeat that. We must never sacrifice the eternal 
on the altar of the temporary. And Joseph understood that. We need to take our stand. We need, once God has given us a sense of what our purpose is, what our mission is, what his will is for our lives, we need to treasure that. We treasure our salvation, of course, but we also should treasure God's will for our lives. That is eternal. And that's something that the world and the enemy cannot take away from us unless we hand it over to them. And that's why we must never sacrifice the temporary, the eternal on the altar of the temporary. Joseph was quite an amazing individual. I mean, you think of what he went through, and yet he never surrendered the eternal. I mean, he ended up in prison unrighteously. Here it was, Potiphar's wife was making the advance, and she accused him. And there he was thrown into prison. And you know what? Prisons back then are not like prisons today. Uh, I think Great Britain probably has this problem to some extent. I know we do in the United States. It's, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. In fact, uh, we even had uh, someone uh, purchase some, some books from us just last week, in fact, and she wanted it sent to a prison inmate. It was a, someone she knew who was in prison, and I guess for some reason you can't send them personal packages, but they'll receive it from a ministry. And so she gave us his address, and I remember the days when if you wrote a prison address, it would say, sell number okay and but nowadays it's sweet number <laughs> and I thought wow things have changed in the US I mean really the, the United States is a little bit of a nutty country God bless my wife for putting up with it sometimes but uh, we have lawsuits by prisoners because they'll cancel a certain station of cable TV you know they'll no longer have it um, and um, so, uh, the prisoners will say, you know, for example, one time, I guess there was one uh, prison warden who found out that the, one of the stations covered in cable TV was actually the Playboy channel, believe it or not. Here are all these rapists, okay, in prison, and about the last thing they need to be viewing is the Playboy channel. And the warden said, forget it, this is crazy, we've got to cancel the Playboy channel, and a lot of the prisoners got upset and so forth. And, um, you know, they can go to school in prison, which, you know, may not be a bad thing, I suppose, but they weight lift in prison, they have uh, football teams in prison, and that, they'd, they'd probably be a rough opposition. I don't know if you'd win eight to seven. <laughs> um, but, uh, but in any case, prison back then, you were at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. It was like a dungeon. And here was Joseph in prison for, for reasons that were not his own fault because Potiphar's wife lied. He was at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. God had promised something up here. Joseph was all the way down here as far as you could possibly get seemingly from what God had promised. And yet he still believed God. He did not let go even though he was here and God's promise was up here. He did not say, forget it. It's not going to work out. And you know what? Some of us are exactly in that position today. We may feel like what God has promised is up here, where we are is here, and we might look at the situation and say the gap is too large. There is no way that God can get me from here to there. But Joseph believed. Joseph believed, and we need to believe, because we serve the Lord of the resurrection. We serve a God who specializes, and in fact loves to take people from rock bottom and lift them up to the fulfillment of his promises. We need to remember that. We serve a God of the resurrection. We must not let go of God's promises, even if Satan attacks. 
whether it be using our family, the temptation to sin, whatever the case may be. And we're at rock bottom. We must not let go of what God has promised. Amen? Amen. Amen. Third step is that God fulfills the dream. Now, eventually, through the interpretation of dreams, eventually uh, Joseph, and we won't give the, the long story, you know, with the with the, with the baker and, the, and so forth. But uh, eventually, through the interpretation of dreams, the uh, interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, uh, he gets lifted up to being the number two individual in Egypt. And you can very well argue that on that basis, he was the number two man in the Middle East because Egypt was the dominant power at that time. And here he was, the second most powerful person in Egypt and probably the Middle East, God fulfills his promise. His brothers come, and just as the dream had said, they bowed down to him, not initially knowing who he was and so forth, but God fulfills the dream. But notice the timing. Joseph had to go through a lot before the dream was fulfilled. A lot of times, I think we could, we could be here until 11 o'clock tonight if we each stood up and shared about the many times God came through in the 11th hour. We could be here all day, meaning a lot of times God comes through at the last moment. And we may not like that, but a lot of times God comes through at the last moment because he wants to build our character, because he wants to make us more like Christ. And as much as he wants to bless us, and this also, very important to remember, as much as God loves to bless us, he is more concerned about our character than our comfort. We need to remember that. A lot of times we want to be blessed, blessed, and blessed, but God wants us to become more like Jesus Christ. That's what he is concerned about. In fact, I remember uh, when I was in seminary, I went through an interesting set of experiences because um, I had gone through four years of college, and uh, then it was really a step of faith to, to go to seminary after that graduate school because my parents did help me some with uh, my undergraduate education. I, you know, worked and the Lord helped out a lot and my parents helped me some. But after that, you know, it was just the Lord and, and I'd work. And, uh, and it was tough to go through all those years straight of, of education. And so by the time I, I finished with seminary and I was there for a few years, uh, I had almost nothing. In fact, I was raised in an impoverished background. I was raised in the inner city of, uh, of New York City. My first full-time job was uh, with the former head of the Savage Skulls, which was one of the most, it was the most feared gang in New York at that time. And so that was my upbringing, very, very poor. And so when I finished seminary, and in fact, when I went to college, I was even sent money back to my mom. You know, most cases, the parents send money to the kids, but my mom was so poor, actually, I would sometimes work three jobs and go to college college, and so I could send my mom let's, uh, about $200 a month, which in today's money would be $900, which would be about 580 pounds. See, I've got the exchange rate down. This is, this is what happens when you travel, okay? And uh, <laughs> I didn't even figure that out ahead of time. It's just, okay, so about 580 pounds a month, which, I mean, that's a lot for a college student to send home. Now, some of you who are college students might be feeling really uncomfortable right now, thinking, oh my goodness, when we go to Lucky Star, are my parents going to say, I need to send 580 pounds a month home? Okay. Um, and the parents have a really good argument. Even the preacher said that children should be. But 
Uh, I was really poor by the time I finished seminary because of this. The only suit I had, uh, my shoulders had broadened because I, you know, would exercise and work out. And so, the, you know, it would, my suit was like this and the sleeves kind of like this. Couldn't wear a suit. I didn't even have a suitcase. Didn't even have a car. I mean, that's how poor I was. And, uh, and yet, I had all these churches who would call and say, hey, will you come and hold revival services for us after you graduate? And in almost every case, I would feel led to say yes. Only problem is I didn't have the money to get there, okay? Because, of course, you know, the United States is a big country, and a lot of these churches were uh, 2,000 miles away and 3,000 miles away, and, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get there? And so it got towards uh, about a month or so before I was to graduate, and uh, I had just uh, $60 in, you know, uh, money back then or approximately, uh, you know, uh, four, uh, 38 pounds, okay, is what I had in, in my bank account. And uh, I, I, I cried out to God, and I said, God, what's going on here? Because all these opportunities are coming my way. I don't even have the money to get there. I don't have a, 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 a decent suit. I don't have a suitcase. I don't have a car. And, Lord, one of two things is going on. Either I'm very much in your will and, and Satan is attacking, or I'm very much out of your will, and I need to know which one it is. And God just spoke to me in a really dynamic way, and he said, well, you are going to begin to get your answer on Saturday. It was Monday that I was praying this, and he said, uh, you're going to get a check in the mail on Saturday, and it will not meet all your needs, but it will be the first check to give you an indication that you are exactly right in the middle of my will. And you need to understand that back then, you know, as a minister, you sometimes get checks in the mail, okay? As a pastor or whatever, you get, sometimes get checks in the mail, but someone going to seminary, you don't get checks in the mail. You just don't. In fact, this is one reason why Haley and I, uh, we have over the years supported people going to seminary because I remember, you know, what it was like that, you know, many times it was, you know, week to week, whether, you know, I was going to have enough to eat, pay tuition, what have you. So we do what we can to help those going to Bible school and then seminary and so forth because sometimes people forget about them. But anyway, it was a very specific uh, answer that God gave me. So Saturday came. And uh, I, uh, the Lord said it would come in the mail, and so I opened up the mailbox, and there was nothing there, no check. And boy, did I ever get discouraged. And on Saturdays, uh, at that time in my life, when I was uh, um, going through seminary, and this is before Haley and I were married, uh, Saturday, uh, early afternoon and throughout the afternoon, what I would do is I would go to the parks and I would street witness. I would go up to people and I'd share with them the gospel. I found it a wonderful place to do it because people were relaxed. It's not like they were rushing somewhere. It was just a wonderful place and time to share the gospel. And 14 people came to Christ that day when I went to the park. And normally, I would have been on cloud nine, okay, saying, praise God, hallelujah, but because of what had just happened, it was more along the lines of, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because I thought, Lord, I thought for sure I heard from you and there was nothing in the mail. And so I got home, and it was probably about 6 o'clock at night, and uh, military time, 1,800 hours. And um, I went for uh, a long, a long walk. And I said, God, what's going on here? And I just sensed God say, trust me, trust me. And he said, I want you to take, uh, as I prayed, uh, half 
of the $60 that you had, that you have 30, 38 pounds, and I want you to give half of it to me as a statement of, of faith that you're going to believe in me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, tight enough with $60? You want me to have 30 I mean, I really do have to pay rent, Lord. The due date is coming up. I hope you know that. But I sensed that's what God wanted me to do. And then I got home. It was quite late. I mean, I was out with the Lord for a few hours. And then what I did at that time is I would exercise before uh, I went to bed. So it got to be 10.30 or 11 o'clock, still Saturday, mind you. And suddenly uh, someone came to my door, knocked at my door, and I could see it was my neighbor. And I thought, you know, why on earth is my neighbor coming to my door at 10.30 or 11 at night? And uh, I opened up the door, and he, he, he said, oh, I'm so glad I got you before you went to sleep because the mailman accidentally put this envelope in my mailbox rather than yours. I knew immediately what was in that envelope. I took the envelope, I opened it up, and there was the check that God had promised. You know it, and I know it. That is so often the way God works. I look back at that, and I think now that was precisely all of it in accordance with God's plan because he wanted to bring me to a place of brokenness, saying, God, okay, Lord, you can take all my money you know, if you wanted, or, and here's the half that you wanted. I'm just going to trust you. He wanted me to be brought to that place, and then the check came through. And then after that, there were many blessings after that, and God supplied. Uh, we, and we're the type, by the way, this is just our conviction. I'm not saying everyone needs to live this way, but we don't share our needs. We just don't. And the reason why we don't, by the way, is there, there are too many people who do that turn off a lot of unbelievers, so we just don't. So I never shared with people that I needed a suit, although I suppose some people could look, okay, um, and say, boy, that person needs a suit. Um, but I never shared. There was no way they could know that I didn't have suitcases. Uh, so people would come up and say, you know, I just feel led. I want to buy you some suitcases. They had no idea that, we had, that I had a need along those lines. Other people came up to me and said, well, I want to buy you two suits. Another person said, I feel led to give you our car. We have two cars. We don't need them. We just need one here. I mean, the Lord just worked it out in a sovereign way. When God wants something done, he does it, but he does it in his timing. And we need to realize that, yes, he does it this way because he, as much as he wants to bless us, he is more concerned with our character than our comfort. Amen? Amen. Fourth principle is we must walk in righteousness and humility even after the dream is fulfilled. Now this is important. There are five points all together in this message. This is number four and a lot of sermons end at number three, meaning hey, once God has fulfilled what he has, uh, what he has spoken, that's it. And you know what? That's just the problem. Because a lot of times what happens with believers is God fulfills what he has spoken to them and then once they've gotten what they're believing God for, they kind of drift off and they lose their fire for the Lord, and it should be just the opposite. We need to continue to walk in righteousness even after the dream is fulfilled. And you know what? Joseph was a beautiful example of this. God made him the number two man in all of Egypt, 
probably the number two man in all the Middle East. And you know what? Now, he had a lot of power. And he could have gotten back at some of those people who wronged him. Now, normally what you hear in sermons is, of course, his brothers are the first to come to mind. But wait a minute. Yes, his brothers. But what about Potiphar's wife? I mean, he very easily could have said, Aha, now I am in a position to throw into prison who really should be in prison. He could have said, Guards, guards, bring me Potiphar's wife. She needs to be where I was because she is the one who did wrong and not me. But we don't even hear a whimper. We don't even hear a complaint. What an act of righteousness. What an act of love. And of course, with his brothers, he said, oh, don't, basically I'm using paraphrase, using today's English, don't feel bad. Don't condemn yourselves because God has used this all to save lives and we need to praise him. What, what an attitude. He walked that walk of righteousness even after the dream was fulfilled. We need to be that way. You know, a lot of people uh, sometimes when um, God puts them in, in powerful positions or fulfills what, what God has given them, they get proud. And then, of course, it sets up their fall. In fact, it was very interesting because uh, years ago I was uh, reading a book and I, I like to read biographical books. I think my favorite kind of book, next to the Bible, of course the Bible's number one, but then after that would be books on how to get closer to God, and then after that I love to read biographies or autobiographies, especially of Christians, but if not of Christians, then of key people in history. And I remember reading uh, a book about uh, Lyndon Johnson, who was the 36th president of the United States. He replaced uh, Kennedy, and uh, the, the book talked a lot about how proud a man he was. And I don't mean proud in the good sense, in the, you know, b the biblical sense of that you shouldn't be proud, you need to be humble. And uh, there was a scene that was reported in the book that I'll never forget because uh, um, it was when John F. Kennedy was running for president and his vice presidential candidate was Lyndon Johnson. And they were watching the results on television. And it was a very, very close election. In fact, uh, to this day, a lot of people think it was a fixed election with the mafias helping out some. So it was a, a lot of not-so-nice things happened. And uh, the loser of the election took it very, very well not to have it investigated. I mean, there were, there were that many irregularities. And so, was a, But the important thing to remember is a very close election. So they were watching very closely on uh, television what would happen. Happen. And the, bi the biographer who was there uh, when, when, when this took place said that uh, John F. Kennedy was in the bedroom and uh, watching from there. There was a television there, uh, but he, for a few moments, wasn't watching. And then Lyndon Johnson was watching on, um, in the living room and watching much more closely. And Lyndon Johnson was from the state of Texas. And he saw the results coming in um, from uh, uh, Texas and uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he saw that they won the state of Texas, um, but they were losing in Pennsylvania. And so he walked in to tell John F. Kennedy the results. And uh, he said to him, we're ahead in Texas, but you're behind in Pennsylvania. 
meaning I'm from Texas, we're ahead in Texas because of me is what he was saying, but you're, not we're behind in Pennsylvania, he said you're behind in Pennsylvania, and the biographer basically said, you know, this was indicative of, you know, the, that he was, you know, it was consistent with the fact that he was a, he was a very uh, proud man, but Joseph was a very humble man. And again, he had all the power to do with what he wanted with his brothers. He could have done whatever he wanted or with Potiphar's wife. But he was very humble, and he always remembered God. It was interesting because uh, one of the most difficult times in recent religious history in the United States is there was a, a well-known minister uh, some decades ago, a couple of decades ago, uh, named uh, Jim Baker, who... Um, he didn't handle money real well. I'm just putting it nicely. And sadly, uh, he was put into prison because of his mishandling of money. And uh, there was a prisoner there. I was told this by another individual who knew uh, a prisoner who was in the same prisoner as, as Jim Baker. And this prisoner, actually, uh, he had received the Lord while in prison, which happens a lot in the United States. And uh, he, he re was really kind of shocked uh, by, uh, by Jim Baker uh, being there. And uh, he approached Jim Baker and said, you know, what happened? You know, why, why uh, did you do this? I've been watching you for years on television, and uh, you used to be so on fire for God. You know, what, what happened? Did you lose the love of God? And um, what Jim Baker replied was very insightful. He said, no, I, I never lost the love of God what I lost was the fear of God. And you know, it is true, really, in our societies today. In the UK, in the United States, a lot of people have lost the fear of God. And I don't mean the fear of God in the sense of, oh, he's going to get me. But the attitude that, wow, with all that Jesus has done for us at the cross, with the heaven that he has promised us, the last thing, we would ever want to do would be to offend him. Amen? Amen. The last principle we want to talk about this morning is that even after we die, the plan of God continues. Now, something beautiful happened at the very end of, of uh, Joseph's life. And uh, that is, uh, we're told in the very last chapter of Genesis, chapter uh, 50, that when he knew he was going to die, and he lived to 110, not bad, he gave instructions to those who were younger, when I'm buried, I want to be buried not in Egypt, I want to be buried in the promised land. He realized, therefore, that even though he was going to die, the plan of God continued after he died. And you know what? We'll be a lot happier in life if we realize this. You know, there's some things that may not be going the way of the church right now, God's way right now, but, and hopefully they'll be resolved for the better while we're still alive, but maybe they won't be. Maybe they'll re be resolved after we've gone to glory, but we still need to have the hope that we're going to fulfill God's will and eventually we know who wins. The last word of the Bible is amen. We know who wins. We don't need to sweat it. We need to realize the plan of God continues even after we die. Aren't you glad? You know, I, I, I think of, um, uh, I think of a, uh, an individual, I think a couple of individuals actually, because we need to realize God's power. 
And a lot of times we don't as we should in the church. We get, we get all excited when we, we sing praise to the Lord and so forth. But we, don't, we talk about the power, but we need to move in that power and move in the assurance. And George Bernard Shaw gave an interesting, he wasn't a Christian by any means, but he gave an interesting illustration uh, that I think is applicable. It was of a church, and it was a church made up of ducks. Everyone was a duck. Even the pastor was a duck. And the pastor gave up, uh, went up and gave a message and said, Praise God. God has given us wings to fly. Hallelujah. And the church got all excited and they said, Praise God. God has given us wings to fly. Hallelujah. And the pastor got even more excited. He said, praise God. God has given us wings to fly high. Hallelujah. And the church got all excited. And they said, praise God. God has given us wings to fly high. Hallelujah. The pastor got even more excited. This might be next week's sermon. He's given us wings to fly high like the eagle. Hallelujah. And the church got all excited and they said, praise God. God has given us wings to fly like the eagle. Hallelujah. The pastor got even more excited. He said, praise God. God has given us wings to fly even higher than the eagle. Hallelujah. And the church got even more excited. They said, praise God. God has given us wings to fly high even higher than the eagle. And they all waddled home. (laughs) Amen. It isn't enough just to talk about God's power. It isn't enough just to sing about God's power. When we leave the sanctuary today, we need to live out God's power because this is the God that we serve, the God that we sang about, the God that we praise. That is the God who is with us 24 hours a day and can bring us to the promised land. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, I think about one last illustration I'll share. True story. Famous Christian, right from near here, not too far, George Mueller. And he prayed especially for five people to come to Christ. He prayed for many to come to Christ, but especially five people. And the amazing thing is, out of those five people, only one came to Christ during George Mueller's lifetime. Now, of the remaining four, two of them came to the Lord at George Mueller's funeral. And the other two came to the Lord shortly thereafter. So all five ended up coming to Christ, but George Mueller only lived long enough to see one of them come to Christ. And my question to you is, did God's plan fail? Of course not. God's plan simply continued after it was time for George Mueller to go home. And we need to realize that today. We need to be faithful. We need to continue on in whatever God has called us to do. And I trust we'll see a lot of fulfillment. But we also need to rest assured that even after we pass on to be with Jesus, the plan of God continues. His dream in us will be fulfilled. And his plan continues even after we die. Amen? And I believe that the reason why God laid this upon my heart is this. We have preached at hundreds of churches over the years, as you might imagine. We've been doing this a long time. And one of the amazing things that we have seen over the years is that 
when there is a, a renovation as extensive as this one, it's not really about a building. It's about what God is doing spiritually. Meaning, I really believe, I've seen this time after time, just as you can look at the Bible and see that names that people had, names of towns, they were of significance. There was a reason why a town was named what it was. There was a reason why a person had the name that he or she did. And we have seen time after time how when there is physical renovation and physical renewal, it's symbolic of what is happening in the church. And I believe here at King's Church that God, he's doing something new. He's doing something beautiful. And this is the time that we need to say, okay, Lord, speak to me regarding dreams. Speak to me regarding your purpose for my life. And Lord, I want to go forward in it. I really want to experience your newness, your renewal, and spread that to others. I believe that is what God is saying to King's Church, and I believe this is why God has laid this message upon my heart. And so I believe the most powerful things for us, they lie ahead. You believe that today? Amen. Let us pray. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.